0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day that your Son, Jesus, accomplished your mission to bring forgiveness, life, and salvation to this world. We know, though, Lord, that there are many voices and many powers and principalities in this world. Uh, that would stand against the mission and the work of Your Son, Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that as Your church, we would be used by You uh, to further this kingdom. Now, Lord, as we hear Your Word today, grant us Your Holy Spirit, and I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are right now in the season of Lent here in the church, and this year we're looking at the various texts uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's Gospel, one of the things that we see happening is that Jesus is always making His way to the cross. One of the great refrains you hear in this Gospel is that Jesus is on the way. Maybe a modern way of saying this, Jesus is on the way to the cross. Or we might say it this way, He is on a mission from God. Do we have any Blues Brothers fans here? Good. This shows that this next illustration will die a thousand deaths. Uh, (laughs) Jesus is on a mission from God. Uh, That is, nothing is going to stop him from getting to the cross, from dying and rising for the salvation of the world. It's like in the Blues Brothers, right? There they are. It's 106 miles to Chicago, full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and they're wearing sunglasses. Nothing is stopping them from getting to Chicago. All right. Nothing is stopping Jesus from getting to the cross. He is on a mission from God. But that does not prevent the powers and principalities of this world from trying to stop him. And there are many things we're seeing, especially in the texts over these next number of weeks, last week and these next couple of weeks, uh, where we see all these sort of powers lining up against Jesus, trying to stop Him from accomplishing God's purposes. So last week, if you were here, we saw Jesus in the wilderness, right? Being tempted by Satan. And Satan came along and he offered Jesus everything that the Father was offering Him, except without the cross. Satan says, I'll give you all the glory without the cross. But Jesus knows this is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. The cross always comes before the glory. And so he refused the devil and sort of passed the test, if you will. Well, now as we come to our reading from Luke today, we have a few more tests being thrown Jesus' way. Another group coming together to try and prevent Jesus from accomplishing his purposes. And we see sort of two groups actually at work here today. First, we see the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And we see Herod. Now, the Pharisees know Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. They probably don't have the whole cross, death, and resurrection thing figured out. But they do know that by arriving in Jerusalem, he's going to try and accomplish some kind of goal, some kind of purpose. Uh, He's probably going to try and establish a reign, and he's gained quite a following, so he might be able to accomplish this. So the Pharisees come to Jesus today, and they say, Hey, stop going this way. Get out of here. This is what they say. Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you in other words they come to jesus and they say listen stop trying to accomplish your purpose in jerusalem if you go there herod is going to try and take your life now their goal is to stop jesus from accomplishing his purposes but they are probably not entirely wrong here it is very likely that herod would not have minded uh killing jesus As we know, Herod has sort of a bad habit of killing prophets who say things uh, that he doesn't like. We need only to look at the head of John the Baptist on a platter, which is a delightful gift for his uh, seductively dancing niece uh, or stepdaughter. That's a great story. We should go through that sometime. Uh, Where John the Baptist's head is found on a platter to see that head and realize Herod doesn't like when people talk back to him. All right, and so, so it is likely here that you have the Pharisees who don't want Jesus in Jerusalem and you have Herod who doesn't really want Jesus around either because Jesus in their mind is a threat to their power. Jesus is a threat to their base of power with his influence. He's taking people away from them potentially and leading them in another direction so you have to ask yourself the question, why do they not want Jesus to get there? Why do they want to prevent Jesus from getting to Jerusalem? And the answer is, they have a great desire. They desire to have power. They desire to have control. And Jesus threatens this. Jesus takes this away from them. Just think with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious base. Here comes Jesus. He starts healing diseases. He starts casting out demons. He starts performing all these healing, wonderful miracles, and the people like it. And then they start listening to him, and he preaches sermons that attack the religiosity of the Pharisees. And this, this threatens them. So they want to get rid of him. Herod as well, Herod as it turns out, is sort of intimidated by anybody and anything that moves against him. And so to see somebody coming along with such great influence uh, is going to be a threat to him as well. So he certainly wants to get rid of Jesus. You see, Jesus is a threat to their power and their desire for power is driving them to try and prevent God from doing His purposes. But this is interesting because this is always kind of the way it works. When God sends His Word, bring repentance and forgiveness saint john when he wrote his gospel said it this way the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil the interesting thing to me in all of this is is that you have Herod and, and the religious leaders here, sort of we might say the secular establishment and the religious establishment, both lined up against Jesus because he's a threat to their power. But the reality is it's not as though they don't have power already. It's not as though they don't have authority. In fact, God had given each of them a particular kind of authority. He'd given the sort of, we might say, the secular realm here, authority to keep order in society, to to prevent evildoers from running wild. They had a great amount of power and authority. Herod has a lot of this already. The Pharisees as well, the religious leaders, they also had authority from God to preach God's word, to bring people to repentance, to point them to a loving and saving God. They had this authority to bring God's word to the people. The problem with them was, is that they loved and desired their power more than they loved and desired the God who gave it. So that when it was threatened to be taken away, they tried to prevent him from doing his will. You see, this is kind of how it always works. Jesus comes, God shows up doing his work, performing his healing, bringing mercy and grace and salvation, and the world is threatened by it. Here comes Jesus, the great, the great hen, to gather His chicks beneath His wings. And the world is threatened and tries to prevent people from coming to Christ. And it makes me pause and think today. As I was working through this text this week, it made me think, do we as the church in our day look more like chicks gathered beneath the wings of Christ coming to Him for hope and healing, or... Do we look more like the Pharisees and the the religious leaders and the political powers trying to maintain control and trying to keep power and influence? I think if we're really asking this question seriously, the church doesn't look all that great. See, here's the deal. Jesus came to accomplish God's will, which is to bring hope and healing, forgiveness and mercy uh, to this world but the religious leaders got in the way Um, i've lost my place here or um, um you see here's here's what's going on here we are we are a world chock full of sinners this room is chock full of them and everybody outside of this room is chock full of them the whole world is full of sinners and jesus's mission is to come and find these sinners and gather them beneath his wings to, to gather them into His presence, to heal them, to forgive them, uh, to give them hope. Now listen, this is good news for you. Because as people who are baptized into His name, you are the very people He has forgiven. You are the very people He has gathered. You are the very people He has brought under His wings to give that forgiveness to. When He accomplished His, mercy, his mission on the cross, it was for you. He died for you. He forgave you, and when you were baptized, you were gathered to Him. And now what He wants for us to do is to be a people who sort of spreads that gathering message. So in this passage, He talks about uh, chicks being gathered uh, to a hen. In another passage, Jesus talks about Him having to go out and gather other sheep that are not of His fold. In other words, Jesus wants a great big barnyard of sinners. He wants to gather them to Himself, and He wants to use us to do it. So he puts his word of healing and mercy and forgiveness on our lips and sends us out into the world to call people back to him to preach this message of repentance and forgiveness and healing. To call out sin that would keep people from Christ, but to bring healing and hope to a dying world. The trouble is is that I think far too often, as I said already, the church ends up looking more like Herod and the Pharisees Unless like the gathered chicks sent on a mission. We have these desires that prevent us from proclaiming the mission of Christ. We have these desires that we want to have accomplished more than what we want to see Jesus doing. So think about it for a second. On an institutional level for the church, and this is not a hard argument to make, but if you look at the history of the church, say over the past Sixteen hundred years or so, seventeen hundred years or so, uh, you see that the church really does start to fall in love with political power and influence, and it wants to take control of society. And we certainly see this happening in the American culture right now, where the church seeks for grabs for power. The church seeks not so much to preach law to those who are causing pain and to others, and gospel to those who are broken. But instead, what I fear we're seeing is Christians on both the left and the right. And don't worry, there are Christians on both the left and the right. Where we see Christians there compromising God's law and word and standard so long as they can maintain power and control. Now, there's a lot of problems with this because what you start doing is you start aligning Jesus with your own personal pet political causes. And one of the big problems with that is, well, there's a lot of problems with that. One of them, for sure, is that you're breaking the second commandment because you're saying this is what Jesus says when Jesus actually never said it. You're putting words in God's mouth. You're speaking where God has not spoken and thus taking his name in vain. The second problem with this is, is when we start to align Jesus with our own personal political causes, we begin to say something like this. Jesus is only for those people on my side of the aisle and not for those people on the other side of the aisle when the reality is Jesus died for the lot of us. And if we start to sort of say he's on our side and not your side, we're simply saying it because we're more comfortable with our sins than we are with their sins. So when the church starts to play this political game, what ends up happening is we get in the way of the gospel. (laughs) We prevent people from hearing the good news that Jesus has come for them. We're letting our desires drive us and not the word of God. But it's not just this sort of power play that the church desires that's a problem. There's other desires that the church has that that get in the way as well. Sometimes you and I, and I think that's kind of a broad institutional comment, this is more for us personally and maybe as a congregation. I think sometimes the church has a problem that we desire to be accepted and liked and loved by the world. And so sometimes we'll compromise on God's law His commandments and His will for creation in order to be looking like we're more accepting. We're more welcoming. We don't want to offend anybody. That's the great sin in our culture is if you offend anybody. And the church fears that we'll be offensive and so we back off the strictness of what God has to say. So instead of going out and calling people caught up in sin to repent, what we end up doing is simply saying, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about your sin. In an effort to be more appealing to the culture, to look more friendly and welcoming, the church will often embrace people caught in sin and approve of things for which they need to repent. And so we might look nice and we might look welcoming and we might have people here who are very comfortable in their sins as they're sort of getting more and more comfortable in their sins on their way to hell. There is no law that is preached and therefore there is no forgiveness and mercy that is preached. God's law is silenced because we desire To be accepted. And in this way, we get in the way of the Word. Now, there's a reaction against this in another faction of the church where they say, listen, there's only sort of two options here. You can be sort of loosey-goosey like those people over there. And I I won't say loosey-goosey in a sermon ever again. I apologize for that. Uh, (laughs) You won't be like those people over there. At the same time, uh, what we're going to do then is we're going to double down on the rules. We're going to double down on the law. And we're going to turn the church into nothing more than a moral conformity factory in which Christians, in order to counteract this compromise they're seeing from the church, will turn Christianity into a religion of laws and rules that you must conform to and if you want to belong. And here, once again, we see the church falling in more on a congregational level, I think. Uh, We fall into, again, that desire for, for control over people's lives. So we'll let you be a part of our church no matter who you are, so long as you repent the way we want you to. So long as your life is changed the way we want it to be changed. And unless you change to our liking, you won't be let in. So Jesus and uh, the prophet Isaiah both at one point talk about uh, there being bruised reeds in this world. Jesus says there are bruised reeds that I will not break and smoldering wicks that I will not snuff out. And sometimes I fear the church comes along and says, well, if you're not going to do it, we'll do it for you. (laughs) Um, And people suffer. And the church instead of being a place where people are free to struggle and wrestle with sin, to confess sin openly and be prayed for and loved and healed and forgiven again and again and again and again, simply becomes a society for the morally pure. Thus the Gospel is silenced and the person is preached. I won't get too much into the details this morning, but there was uh, an encounter I had with this and I fear that I've sinned in this way uh, a number of times. But I remember one of my first confirmation students uh, who was really big and, and gung-ho about sort of his Christianity and becoming a pastor, at least that's what I, what I thought, only to find out later on that he, he was really not wanting to become a pastor but was wrestling, shall we say, uh, with his identity. And was trying to barter with God to say, look, if you take this sort of struggle I have away, I'll become a pastor for you. And then he realized that the struggle wasn't going away and so he left the church altogether. Because he figured, wait, listen, uh, God doesn't love people like me. Therefore, I'm not welcome in the church. And he stopped coming. And I sometimes fear that that was my fault for something I said or taught. And if so, I repent of such things. Uh, But I just remember thinking to myself, what are we to say to someone in that situation as the church? Because on the one hand, you can't just say to somebody, you know what, just follow your desires. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. That's not a good advice for anybody ever. At the same time, you don't want to say to someone who is struggling through an issue uh, such as that, hey, listen, uh, uh, you better change or else you're not welcome here. You better get that figured out before you can come up and, and sit in our church. We don't want to say either of those things. What is it we are supposed to say to someone like this? Well, the same thing Jesus has been telling us all along. Repent and believe the good news. I've come for sinners. I've come only for sinners, and you all qualify, so you are welcome under the shelter of My wings. Come in here for healing and forgiveness and mercy. Perhaps we as a church, and perhaps you individually are here today, and what you need to hear is Jesus' clear rebuke. I fear this is exactly what I need today. For at times giving approval to sin that needs not be approved of. And for other times, we need to repent. For not showing any mercy to someone who is struggling and suffering in their lives. In all of this, the Lord Jesus comes to us us today and says, I have a mission that I am on to bring healing and mercy and forgiveness to the world. And at times, you have stood in the way of it. So repent for such things. But know this, I am on a mission from God. And you're not going to stop me from carrying it out. The heresy, uh, the heresies, Herod and the Pharisees cannot stop me, and neither can you. So, so Herod and the Pharaoh, or, or the, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say to him, "Look, get out of here. Herod's going to kill you." And Jesus says, "Listen, you tell that fox." And I love the part where Jesus is calling people names. That's kind of fun. Uh, Jesus says, "You tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons." And I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Jesus says, listen. I'm on a mission from God. I'm making my way to the cross. And on my way there, I'm driving out demons. On my way there, I'm forgiving sins. On my way there, I'm healing those who are suffering and oppressed in this world. And when I arrive there, I'm going to die. And I'm going to shed my blood. And Herod's not going to be the one to kill me. And you guys aren't going to be the ones to kill me. I'm going to offer up my life as a sacrifice. So that I might die for the sins of the world. I might die even for your sins, you who seek my life. Jesus has one desire. And that is to do the Father's will. And the Father's will is for you and I to be forgiven and healed and for that forgiveness and healing to spread throughout the world. So Jesus says, I came to die. I came to rise. And when He did rise on the third day and He did accomplish His purpose, He finished His course. He rose from the dead and He began to make all things new. And He's done it even for you and for me. Jesus says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And today Jesus wants you to know that He has mercy even on you. I think this is really the great and challenging joy of this Lenten season as we sort of make our way to the cross. We are reminded that there is really one desire we are to be focused on. And that is the desire of Jesus to forgive and to save. It's not our desire for power. It's not our desire for control. It's not our desire to be accepted. All of those things are things for which we probably need to repent. No. The one desire we focus on is Jesus' desire to die and rise for you. And on that third day, He accomplished His purposes. Nothing could stop Him from accomplishing His purposes. And because He did this, because He did God's will and saved this world, you have good news to hear this morning. Today, tomorrow, and the day following on into eternity, you are the baptized, beloved children of God. You are a baptized, beloved child of God. He forgives you for all of your sins. Now I pray that that forgiveness would not only be found in your heart, but on your lips as we let Jesus loose out into this world so they might know this is a place they can gather beneath the healing wings of our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Have mercy on us, O God, for our sin. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for not trusting Your Word. Forgive us for desiring control. Forgive us for desiring to be accepted. Forgive us, Lord, for not following You faithfully. We ask, O God, that You would have mercy on us. Teach us to follow You well. And Lord, we pray that through us, others might come to know the forgiveness we ourselves have received. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.